Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Week 1, and the USHL Fall Classic Special, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Brad's going to join us in a minute in probably a few segments. He's a little delayed. That's what happens in travel, happens with airplanes, and Doug, you uh, know all about that, and happy to bring on Doug Christensen, the USHL Deputy Commissioner, was newly named about 10 days ago, um, and for some people who may not know, he Doug was actually my old boss when he was back at the USHL, so uh, Doug, thanks for coming on the show, I appreciate it, and congrats, congrats on the new job. Thanks very much, obviously, uh, great to be back in the league, um, I enjoyed it a ton, it's uh, great to be with you uh, and reconnect. Obviously, the times in the past when we've connected on the show, uh, we haven't been on video, so it's a whole other level of pressure. Uh, but it's great to talk about the USHL and the players in our league and uh, the direction that we're going and obviously reconnect with you. Well, I appreciate that. And let's talk about the Fall Classic that uh, just finished and sort of the evolution of it from like 2012 to sort of 2000. 22 and you stepped away went to the ECHL you know as the general manager and head coach but you got to watch it from afar for a couple of years but talk about how it's evolved to the point where it is now where it's a a massive event on the NHL schedule and the USHL schedule well certainly just a quick uh brief background so uh there have been preseason tournaments consistently throughout uh the history of the league even when I played in the league um scattered in different spots and um, one of the things that we thought would be really great was to have these events, um, you know, to kick off the season um, in centralized locations as opposed to smaller ones. Uh, you see kind of like in the NHL where you have different pods and geographically. So uh, a couple pieces that came with that. When I first went to the USHL, we had a fall classic in Omaha with our Western Conference teams and then Pittsburgh with our Eastern Conference teams. Um, and then that grew to. Um, going from preseason games to regular season games and uh, having the crossover of East and West uh, conference games. And by bringing every team under one roof, having a youth tournament doing it, um, every NHL team is there. Typically they have between three and six people there on a, uh, on a daily basis. And obviously every college in the country is there as well. So for our players, it's a fantastic showcase for our league. It's a fantastic showcase. And, and for the, the general managers and, and, and scouts who are there in the building and coaches, they get to reconnect with each other prior to the season, which I think is really great for the players in our league. And obviously our draft numbers bear that out. Let's talk a little bit about another announcement that happened and adding uh, Flow Sports and Flow Hockey as a partner in terms of broadcasting and with the evolution of streaming and the importance of connecting your fans to the game at any place at any time. Talk about, you know, your experience with well, Flow Sports. Obviously, they, you know, broadcast games in ECHL and now they're a partner of the USHL. Talk about that five-year partnership and what that could potentially bring to your league and to the promotion of the players and to the league overall. Well, I think it's great because it gives um, both Flow Hockey and the USHL uh, a partnership that they both can collaborate on and grow because it's in their collective best interests. And not only that, you have the opportunity to, um, you know, grow from a technological point of view, but having had it last the, the last few years in the ECHL, it's a great product. It's great streaming for whether it's anything from, you know, fans uh, to families, 
um, that it can connect the people to the game in an effective way. And one of the things that I think that, you know, people have liked is, you know, the content is there, not just at the live stream, but a little bit later on as well. And so if for whatever reason, uh, a fan or a, um, uh, a family member, whoever might be watching, uh, misses the game live, they can jump right in and watch it as if it's live, uh, see all the highlights. And obviously they do a nice job uh, promoting with their weekly emails and, 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 and obviously all their social media content as well. Talk about, about the potential expansion of they can drive content and drive storylines because like sports fans are driven by the story of what's happening with the players, with the team, with the franchise. They want to feel a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And how does Flow Sports and then they're driving different content, not just broadcasting the games, but outside of that and social media and stories that that they can write and interviews that they can do. Because I know they were doing something with the, the Sioux Falls Stampede as well while they're at the Fall Classic. Talk about that advantage of expanding your brand across not only the United States, but more importantly, North America and Europe. Well, I think it's great. I think, I mean, you just touched on it from a European, just let's talk about a European. A European can click on and be able to not only watch the games, but to understand what do the facilities look like? What do the behind the scenes look like? Uh, fans who uh, are into rivalries can look at, you know, and I know in the USHL or in the ECHL, they had the power rankings. They can talk about those kinds of things. They can talk about how teams are trending um, players as they're leading up to the draft, uh, whichever team in the league that they were playing for. And then they can promote that on just a larger uh, bandwidth. And so when somebody's going in, let's just say it's somebody who's watching um, the ECHL, uh, and they might not know about our league. They can sit there and say, well, it's between periods. This game's heading to overtime. I'm going to just go watch that for a few minutes, and they can get exposed to our league in an entirely different capacity. So um, obviously, you know, lots of people are unplugging. Uh, maybe I'm too old. I haven't completely unplugged yet. Um, but lots of people are unplugging. They want to have their ability to, to watch games, not only on their computer or on their television, but also on their phone, wherever they are. Um, you know, they could be sitting in an airport and watching their team play. So uh, we're obviously excited about that and think that that's really going to grow the brand and extend the brand, uh, you know, in the coming years and hopefully beyond. Talk a little bit about as well. I want to chat about expansion because you've had, you know, the 16 franchises, obviously U.S. National Development Program is a part of that, but it's a pretty central region for the, which the USHL covers in terms of its bases in the United States. And there's always a look to the future, but also managing you know, potential expansion. Like you look at the California and Western areas, obviously the East coast is pretty entrenched with a lot of different leagues. Um, what's your thoughts about, you know, potentially having a division in the West, maybe a division in the East and sort of slowly expanding the USHL because hockey's never been more, I guess, popular in the United States than it's ever been. Um, and I think that's great to see. We need that push from the U S as a Canadian. I want to see it grow in the United States. Well, I think um, we're always looking at ways to find uh, improvements in the league. And I think that uh, one of the things that we've done a really nice job of dating back to when I played uh, all the way through today is having a really good understanding of what the league is, where the league is located and uh, who we are. Now, you look at we're in essence Big Ten country. And so for your Canadian fan, you're really talking about the Midwest part of the United States. But that's really what the nucleus of our league is. Um, well, the, the Big Ten also just added UCA, USC and UCLA, um, you know, to, to extend their reach. Um, so you never say never, but we obviously have different resources than the Big Ten. Um, but I do think that there's enough quality hockey players. 
there's enough quality commitment to hockey in our country that um, there is an ability to grow the, the, the teams in our league. Um, but we also want to make sure that we do a really good job, first and foremost, the teams that are currently in our league. And then as each individual situation arises with different teams, different locations, um, we, we look at each one of those individually and say, okay, does this fit what we're looking for? Does it make our league better? Um, and those places that have done that, um, you know, have made our league better uh, and drive uh, our business forward. And we need to continue that model. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see we expand. But um, again, that's obviously something for the owners to take a look at as to um, what's going to improve their teams and what makes sense from a travel and logistical point of view as well. But there's certainly enough good hockey players. Do you look at it from, say, like you're talking about the Midwest, there's some maybe some locations that are larger media markets. You sort of look at Indianapolis, you look at Cincinnati, you look at maybe St. Louis, or you maybe look at Kansas City or still in that Midwest area, but provide a greater media attention because of the, the large you know base of that city. Is that something you guys would look at as well? I mean, you have Chicago. But a lot of your markets are really sort of mid-level markets comparative to some of the other, you know, larger cities around you. Certainly. I mean, I think what one of the things that you really have to look at is the competition within that community. I'll just speak about a community that I know extremely well, uh, Milwaukee. It's my hometown. Uh, well, Milwaukee has, in the winter, they obviously have the Milwaukee Admirals, who are an American League team, so that can drive a lot of hockey fans. You have the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, when the Packers are good, uh, it doesn't matter that they're a couple hours away. It's 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 gravitating the community. Um, and so you have those individual pieces of competition and there's only so much uh, entertainment dollar and drive in, in a larger market. So you really want to find a place where you can find a little uh, niche that um, maybe there isn't as many winner options and you can come in and, and, and play a larger role in that community. And it's those places um, you know, Green Bay, for example, it's not the biggest city in the world, but it's a brand city. Um, they obviously do extremely well because when the Packers are done, um, they are what there is to do in town. Um, and, and they obviously have a, a greater reach. So um, continuing to grow larger markets, of course, we'd like to do that. But we also have to be cognizant of the other competing factors that we would have in those cities. Well, we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but stay tuned and we'll talk more about the USHL Fall Classic right after these messages. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. And continue to speak with Doug Christensen, the Deputy Commissioner of the USHL, about the USHL Fall Classic. Doug, I want to ask you about like the USHL Combine, uh, the draft, and how all of that comes together with USHL Fall Classic, because you have all these underage tournaments going on at the same time as the Fall Classic where these younger players come in and play this tournament, get exposed to the USHL, but actually see USHL games live. So they have an understanding of what the league's all about, like how good, how big, how fast, how talented the players are. I'll tell you sort of a story I overheard um, from your staff members previously a couple of years ago. There was a couple of mothers talking about their kids playing. They're like, oh, our, our kids like 
they sort of dismissed how good the USHL was, but they'd never seen a game. And, you know, a couple of your um, uh, companions working at the USHL said, well, like, I think you should come and take a look at the look, watch a game with us. I think you're going to be really surprised at how great the quality is. And they sort of like poo pooed it a little bit. You know, like we're from these like high school teams. And then the, I saw the two mothers at the rink and they happened to come over and talk to the gentleman. And they go, you were right. We had no idea how good the USHL is. And that's part of like we talk about the branding of it is that I think a lot of people outside of the USHL, not talking about the NHL personnel, but other people maybe in Canada or Europe don't realize the quality of the play and the players until they see it up close and personal and they go, oh. Okay. Well, talk about how that has continued to grow, where you're trying to support those young players coming up through these tournaments, expose them and help them understand what they need to do, and then move on from there. Well, really, it's really about the education, right? I mean, for a long time, there's an element of, um, you know, if you're a top American player, uh, you maybe go to prep school, or you'd stay at your Minnesota high school, or you play major junior, whatever it might be. Um, but what we wanted to do in an organic way through education is really say, if you want to play in the NHL, if you want to play uh, Division One college hockey, um, there is no better option than coming to our league. Um, for five straight years, we've had over 50 players drafted. We had 57 players drafted last year. Um, the draft numbers bear it out. And it's not just guys who are going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, uh, in seventh round. We got guys going to one overall with Owen Power. I mean, you have guys uh, littered throughout the league, um, whether it's at the development program or other organizations, going in the first round and having impact in the National Hockey League. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that we've done from a youth perspective has been, whether through the Combine, through the Fall Classic or the American Cup or the Frosty Cup, has an educational element so that families can see firsthand what the league looks like what the standard is to get there, because oftentimes they might have a player in the organization. I mean, I remember a really good example. Um, the Dallas Stars elite were in the tournament, and it was when I was running the tournament, and two kids who had older brothers were playing against each other in the fall classic. And the whole team went, and all the parents went, so that the younger brothers got to see their older brothers playing, and they are playing against each other. And all the families from the Dallas Stars elite got to see that, firsthand as to what it took to get there and what that looks like. That's invaluable. You can't explain to somebody what the pace of play looks like, what the talent levels look like. Sometimes they just have to see it and you have to put them in a position to see that. And to take it one step further in 2016, um, just over 140 Americans were playing major junior. Um, well, that number is now down to just over 80. Um, well, the, those players are in our league. Um, not all of them, but the majority of those players are in our, in our league. And um, that obviously helps our league develop. It helps more NHL draft picks and it helps those kids move on to college and get an education uh, on their path to, to pro hockey. So um, a lot of that is all tied. And as you know, uh, having worked for USHL Central Scouting is the combine events bring all the players from all over the country, Canada. And we've had players from Europe. We've had players from Japan, um, players from all over to showcase themselves uh, to our scouts and to our teams and in hopes of uh, becoming a draft pick and eventually a player in our league. Well, that's one of the things that you mentioned talking about Europe. How much of it is an advantage to have somebody like Callie Larson, who's a general manager in your league, who's from Sweden and his influence of coming over and convincing and talking to the European players, obviously a lot of them are Swedes to come over and play in the league. And then, 
the other kids in Europe, particularly in Sweden and other places, look at that and go, wait a minute, why are these guys coming over to play in this league? Like, what's going on here? Like, how much does that help sort of like bridge that gap from North America to Europe? Well, it certainly helps Cali and Dubuque. Uh, no question about that. But um, I think it's great. I think that the you see players come to our league and have success and translate that success uh, to college and the professional level. Um, and it's from all over. And our teams do a really nice job. I mean, uh, you look at Muskegon had uh, Shveshnikov uh, come in young from Russia. And, uh, That's right. You know, and, and, and you have players who um, might otherwise have looked at other options previously and they come to our league. And so for us, I think that that's really good. It, it has a global reach because when these players go back, um, they have to ask, they get asked questions. And one of the things that lots of teams have done in Canada for a long time is say, listen, come play major junior, come play in Canada because you want to play in the NHL, learn the culture here, learn the language here. Um, and therefore it will help you become a pro. Well, we can offer the exact same thing. And we can offer some different things in terms of uh, the opportunity to, to also go, be able to go to college in the United States, the opportunity to, um, uh, you know, play in our league and, and, and continue your growth in a different capacity. And that's not saying one is better than the other. It's just saying that they're both great options. And so to a player who is in Latvia, um, the United States can become a really interesting option. Well, and look, from a guy who's going through university right now, as a kid, if you can get your university paid for, and you can play hockey, go and do it. I mean, because I think that's, yeah, it's a tremendous advantage in terms of, because there's going to be at some point, I know the kids don't want to hear that. There's a life after playing the game, even at a pro level. So to move on from that and talk about like what, just briefly, we have a few minutes left in a segment. Like what's next for the USHL in terms of trying to expand your brand? Because I think when that, that brand continues to expand that's where i think people are going to have a greater attention to your league and realize how good it really is well a few things one i think you touched on it and did a nice job with the the steam streaming piece um obviously being a part of flow hockey can extend our reach in a, in a capacity that we didn't have before uh we also have the ability to uh tell our story in different ways uh through social media that lots of our teams do an outstanding job but I obviously think the next natural uh, spot is to find ways onto the NHL network and to find ways to tell our story in a way that is compelling to the NHL, to USA hockey and, and to the world as our players, not just play in our league, but then, you know, spread out throughout hockey. Um, the more that that happens, the more times, uh, the more success Owen power has uh, and broadcasters throughout uh, North America say, you know, what Owen power played at the university of Michigan played at, um, for the Chicago steel and went one overall telling that story uh, continues to push our narrative. And the more that people just become aware of it and understanding of what we are, um, it allows us to, 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 to consolidate that market that, and then hopefully we find ourselves more on television in a, in a spot where um, not only we're not talking about extending it, we're talking about the next step and how many more games we can get on TV and to grow it. And that's what, something I've been talking about for quite some time about getting on NHL Network TV. Hey, it's great. We love having you guys on NHL Network Radio, but you also got to see the game. And, you know, there's spots available on NHL Network TV to expose that because we don't get NHL Network TV in Canada anymore. We only have Sportsnet. So it's really only for the U.S. market. So I think that's something that can be 
extremely helpful to you know, you know, your marketing and branding push moving forward. So, Doug, thank you very much for coming on our show. We always appreciate it. Uh, great success in the future and look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Look forward to connecting again soon. That's Doug Christensen, the Deputy Commissioner of the USHL. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data of video library of teams, players, and leagues worldwide. We're talking about the USHL Fall Classic that just transpired on the weekend. We're happy to bring in Noel Needham, the Associate GM for the Chicago Steel. Noel, thanks for coming on the show again. We always appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Love so let's you. talk about the USHL Fall Classic that just finished up. I love the fact that they changed it from preseason games to regular season games. I think it's better for the players that it matters. Uh, I think it's better for the NHL teams and the USHL teams, the college teams that they can evaluate the players in a situation that has greater value. Um, And then all of your collective group, all the, you know, USHL teams and everyone else around the hockey world can come to one place in Pittsburgh and get to talk and meet each other and sort of like catch up. And, and then, you know, that's where you get to talk shop as well. So talk about that experience of how valuable that is the fall classic for a general manager, just as the season's starting. Yeah, I think that there's, you know, everyone is really excited that the games are meaningful. And I think that that's really important because it brings everyone together, all the USHL groups, like you had mentioned, but uh, division one schools and NHL staffs. And it really, I think it, it allows there to be a healthy amount of pressure um, for not only the players, but for the staffs and, and the programs to really get uh, a, a true benchmark of where their team is at, uh, to kind of, you know, hit the season off. So, um, it's a great event. Uh, USHL does a good job organizing it. Uh, facility is great. And for everyone to be there, there's certainly a level of excitement, uh, going into the weekend, to get the season rolling. Talk about, you know, the pressure on the players. And is that an invaluable tool for you as a general manager to look at how do our players react? Them knowing that all the eyes in the hockey world are on them in that situation, college teams, NHL teams, all the other USHL general managers and coaches are watching them play. Does that help you sort of evaluate that player's ability to handle duress and stress in that situation? And then how they handle that gives you some tools and understanding of how to help them develop in the future. Yeah, I say it's twofold. I I would say that it's certainly more valuable in terms of them having to go through it. And I think that that process of them going through that kind of getting thrown into the gauntlet, you know, being in front of a completely packed facility, um, you know, you've got all these NHL staffs, but additionally, you've got like, the Pittsburgh Penguins staff, you know, hanging over their own private little box and, and ledge. And um, it can be intimidating. And I think that uh, that's a really valuable experience for them to get right away at the beginning of the season, because there is a lot of pressure and there are a lot of eyes on them throughout the year. And for the kids that haven't experienced that yet, um, I think it's just a perfect way to 
you know, kick off the year and to talk about it and have them understand what that feels like and then grow and improve uh, throughout the season, you know, knowing that that's kind of the, the standard of this league. I want to ask you about a couple draft eligible prospects and Cameron Johnson and Jaden Perron, who are both undersized players. And we've seen, you know, the, at the NHL level, it more so at the college level of the evolution of small players can succeed and have great success. There is it, when you have conversations with these two players, I mean, obviously they're self-aware of like the fact they're five, nine and a hundred and, you know, 50, 160 pounds soaking wet and what, you know, how difficult it is for a smaller player to make it. Like, what are those conversations like when they get thrown into that gauntlet and they can go against these bigger, stronger, faster players and go, now I begin to understand what I need to do to be able to succeed, how I need to adapt my game. And how does like how does that help you from a player development standpoint? Because that's your background. And then look at it through that lens and then through the lens as a general manager and help that player evolve their game so that by the end of the year, their those strengths become even more strengths and the weaknesses start to dissipate. Yeah, I think with Chicago, like we want to play a certain style um, that's very specific. And uh, with that said, however, you're still going to compete against guys that are physical, that are heavy, um, you know, that create a lot of 50-50 puck battles that you have to find a way to win. And although we value like a certain style of play and and uh, IQ and brain, um, competitiveness is also a, a very important factor in, to the success of how we want to play and, and truly like the success of the player being able to develop, to move on and, and play at a higher level. So uh, that's really valuable for them to experience and get used to. And it's, it's a process. I mean, these kids don't come here and, and just immediately, uh, you know, take off. And that's, that's the beauty of a, an entire season. And so for them, it's learning how to use their body in certain situations, learning how to use their head and awareness and their eyesight, um, you know, in, in conjunction with their brain, of course, in order to uh, problem solve or make plays in certain areas that, uh, you know, could have lended being more physical than, than necessary for them. So, um, you know, for them watching video is really important, but just again, being in the, being in the pressure cooker and, and being in that environment and, and learning is, uh, you know, it's just, that's a part of the whole process. I want to ask you about Nicholas Moldenhauer as well, who was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously you work for, for the Toronto Maple Leafs as, as well and have relationships with that hockey op staff. Talk about um, him as a player and his evolution and sort of, what he expects from himself. Cause every, obviously the staff has an expectation of where would you like to get him to go. But I'm always interested in when you have the conversations about a player of like what they expect for themselves moving forward for this, this season, because this is a big year for him. Yeah, it's a huge year for him. And, and talk about a kid that just has faced like tremendous adversity um, in what he went through last season. And, and despite going through all that adversity and missing a lot of time, um, he's still good enough to be drafted by the, the Maple Leafs. He's, he was still good enough to, he could have gone into any college this year and played, uh, but he chose to come back and he, he chose to 
value the development and undergo a certain process that's going to allow him to be a leader. It's going to allow him to be the guy. It's going to allow him to gain confidence um, just in a multitude of different situations. And to have that type of maturity and perspective when you could potentially do whatever you wanted, I think uh, is how we want to operate in Chicago. And I know for a fact that that's how the Maple Leafs want to operate. So when you talk to him about that, it's exciting to you to have a player who where you can help mold in the leadership in the leadership position, but also what's going to help him in the future of like, this is how leaders have to lead. This is what it takes to take on that type of role. Yeah. And he is, he's a kid that like, he gives you everything that he has every minute of the game. I mean, he's so well-rounded on both sides of the puck, but his compete level is just through the charts. And to have that type of an example for these younger kids, uh, you know, like Macklin Celebrini as a 2006 tender of ours, for him to see the type of effort and intensity that Nick plays with night in and night out, you know, that only makes Macklin better. And so that, that leadership is something that um, is not only going to help, you know, Nick, as he works his way to the NHL, but it's, it's certainly going to help everybody else on our team uh, just because of the example that he sets. How much of, of that gets carried over off the ice in, you know, team building and culture and him recognizing what the culture of the Chicago steel is because it was there before him and it's going to remain there after. And he's a part of that. And then instilling that to the younger group that's coming up through the Chicago steel organization. Well, it's, it's, it starts with the staff and, and just the culture that is set there. I mean, the staff there works so, <clears throat> so hard, excuse me. And, and the players seeing that the staff is willing to put in that much work or to stay extra or to, you know, work out for two hours after a pregame uh, or a preseason game. Um, and our weight staff is, or, you know, strength conditioning staff is willing to be there for two extra hours. It's 11 at night and they're still, you know, those guys want to work out. I mean, that that's a really special environment. And so when you talk about like his effort on the ice, carrying off into off ice stuff, and you've got new guys that are first player, first year players in the league, wanting to have that type of involvement in the weight room. Um, I mean, it's just, it just hits every facet of the organization. Well, Noel, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it and good luck through this season and look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, thank you. As Noel Needham, Assistant Associate General Manager of the Chicago Steel, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're still talking about the USHL Fall Classic. We're happy to bring on Dan Muse, head coach for the U.S. National Development Program. Dan, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So let's uh, talk about some players that you have. You know, this is a big season for your players. Obviously, they're draft first year draft eligible. They have the U18s uh, that you're, you know, working towards, you know, in April in Switzerland. But I want to sort of focus on what you saw from them in 
you know, only a couple games in the USHL Fall Classic, but and obviously, you know, your opportunity to see them in practice and in training. I want to get your thoughts first on Will Smith and him as a player, what you are expecting from him and what he can grow into uh, throughout this season. Yeah. Uh, Will's a guy I've really enjoyed working with over this past year. Um, you know, it, it's, it, this is, it's a unique environment here where you get the whole group uh, really for two years, at least. Um, and in most years you'll have everybody for, for two full seasons and uh, see the growth that he's already had um, throughout that U17 year. And then, um, you know, just a starting point that he's at right now, it's really exciting. Um, Will's a player who he's got a, uh, you know, a great skill set, great stick, um, really really good hockey mind. Like um, he's just, he sees plays uh, develop. He, he sees space. Um, he knows how to get to the right areas. And then you combine that with the skill set and the shot that he has. Um, you know, he's a player who can, uh, who can be really fun to watch. And, you know, I, one of the things that's impressed me working with him over the past year is just, you know, how much he's worked on his, his overall game. Um, like he's a guy who, you know, he, he really has put in a lot of time. He wants to be a, um, a complete player. He wants to be a player who's, you know, not just in offensive situations, but it was also somebody who's, you know, utilized, trusted in defensive situations as well. And that part of his game, um, you know, has really evolved and that's a credit to him. Um, but he's, uh, you know, you look at this past weekend too, and, um, you know, the second game that we had, he had a, a couple beautiful plays there on the power play, uh, one goal, and then he follows it up with a great assist right afterwards. And he was able to show just, you know, the poise <clears throat> that he has with the puck and how far, how hard it can be to, to defend him because he's got that ability to pull defenders in and, and manipulate defenders, both power play and five on five, and then um, and then find the players around him. Uh, but then he also has the uh, the ability to, to find that open space and um, and does a really good job there just just popping into holes. And, and you saw that in the first game of the Fall Classic where he had a, uh, um, a game-winning goal there in overtime. Um, so I, I really liked his progress. He's a guy that, um, you know, he's, he's been a lot of fun to work, work together with, and I'm excited to see where it continues to progress as we go through this year. Dan, you mentioned that uh, Smith has been developing well the last two seasons. Where do you feel this offseason he's developed uh, the most? What's the strongest area of improvement for you off the ice? Well, you know, I think all these players, just given their age, you, you see a lot of growth, you know, in terms of their off-ice training. You, you have to, you know, like, like our group, we're playing um, uh, even even this year where we're playing, you know, in the USHL, like those games, like it, for the most part, all the play, mo the majority of the players for sure are still older than them. Uh, they're older, they're bigger, some stronger. So, um, you know, it's something where here, especially in that first year, like there's um, in both years, there's a significant, um, a huge emphasis really on, on the off ice conditioning. And, and we got an incredible sports science department headed by Brian Gallivan and, I think guys continue with that, you know, they, they learn a lot during that first year. And then when they go home in the summertime, you know, they really make sure that, um, you know, they're continuing with that training. And so you, you saw that train, the, the, the work that he did there in the weight room, but then, um, you know, he had a, I thought a really productive summer there and just in continuing to take steps in his shot, continue to take steps there um, in his play with the puck and his stick skills. And, you know, he put in a lot of time and it's showing here right now. One of your thoughts as well on Ryan Leonard, uh, it's not uh, for us. It's great to get an overview from the coaching staff. And I like the fact that what you do in, in the U S national development program is the coaching staff stays with these kids for those two years. So you can help guide them through those, those big growth jumps, 
no, not just mentally and emotionally, but physically as well. And talk about Leonard's um, evolution from when the first time you got to see him step on the ice until, you know, this fall classic and how far he's come. Yeah. Well, he's another guy that, you know, you, you see that overall game, like these, everybody comes in here in that first year and, Ryan and, and Will included, where um, they, they've typically, you know, they've been the top players, um, whether it be, you know, uh, midget hockey or prep school hockey or high school hockey, whatever it is, they've been, when they come here, they've been kind of, you know, that those top guys where they can sometimes get away with maybe just a one-way game or get away with some things that might not work at the next level. And then in that first year, they really have to, you know, they have to make some adjustments. Okay, what's going to work here now where we're playing against bigger, older, stronger? And and then also for us, it's helping them identify what are you going to need? What's going to work in, within your game for higher levels? Because that's what we want to be helping them work towards, um, where they can have success at higher levels. And, and so to see that overall evolution of his game has been great. Um, you know, I mean, his, he's just, he, Ryan is a powerful player. He's a very powerful player um, with, with a great skill set and a great shot. Um, he can play a physical game. He can play a, it, it's a very physical game. And so that, that, that combination, um, you know, is led him to success here, led him to success last year. He played a significant amount of time and finished the year, both him and Will um, with the under 18s, both of them going to U18 worlds. And, um, and I think that, that also for those guys too, getting time, uh, last year playing with the um, the old fours and I mean both of those guys played you know NCAA games when they were you know juniors in high school and and so now you're saying okay like I can do these things at this level I can they're learning how to you know play with limited time and space they're learning how to make plays with limited time and space they're learning how to play the game at, at higher tempos and they've been really forced to just throughout the, that you know the, the practices and games that they got last year um, and for them you know the addition of you know playing up uh you know with the old fours playing with another birth year practicing with those guys and playing um you know even the college games i, I think you're seeing uh, the, the benefits of that here right now in their play you mentioned the power game one thing that really impressed me in the opening games of the season there was not just the the pace that he kept uh, but his attention to detail off the puck his 200 foot game is reads uh, do you feel that his power allows him to apply apply extra pressure and therefore generate more uh, takeaways and and turnovers uh, than some of your other uh, some of the other players you have on your team? I, I think it's definitely a part of, of Ryan's game. I mean, it's you know the way he's able to get on pucks, the way he's able to get a, not just on pucks but then get on options, um, and then you know he also he, he's it's just a really you know strong combination of of power and speed, and so it's really hard to play against, you know, when he's pressuring defenders, um, you know, it's tough. It's a lot coming at him. And then he's got the the skill set and the, you know, the offensive sense too to quickly transition off of those situations. Um, and so he, because of that, he's a player who I think, you know, he, he's able to impact the game in a lot of different ways and, and offensively he's able to create in a lot of different ways. How much is that going to help him as he transitions through co into college hockey next year but then eventually as he moves into the pros everybody likes to have those big strong centermen but you can be adaptable and successful in other ways and different body types and we've seen that in the nhl and is that's something that he's starting to understand that i there's a bunch of different tools and tricks that i can use to push myself into that echelon and where i want to be no i think for sure you know, and I think, you know, from a culture standpoint, you, you know, you, you love having guys like that, too, because, you know, it's not just the offensive side. It's just there's a lot of ways that, you know, 
uh, within the type of game he plays that he's going to be able to impact it. Um, you know, like he can, he can create with that speed off the rush. He can create a lot there in the offensive zone because he's a tough player to handle. Um, you know, he's got the shot where he can, he can create some offense from distance. And then he's also got that, the ability and that, um, you know, that power game where he's going to be able to get to the net and be able to get to those hard areas of the ice. And so, I feel like he's a player too who's finding, you know, the the you know the 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 reads of you know when it's time to be able to create this way compared to when I'm gonna be able to create in other ways. Um and so you know that that all around game is come a long ways. And that's just on the offensive side. But like I said, he's he's got ability there too. Like I mean, I thought he had he did an incredible job too, just tracking pucks. Like that's an area of his game too that I feel like you're really seeing he's able to come back and he's able to track and strip and be able to transition the other way. And so not just leading off the offensive side, but also leading off the defensive side as well. Well, that's something that I know the defensemen really love is when you can get forwards coming back and tracking and allowing the D-man to step up and be able to like maybe take on something physically or be able to adjust easier to take on, you know, a different gap. So um, as a defenseman, I love those guys because my defense was poor. So it's great. I like those guys. So looking forward to seeing how he he continues to evolve. But we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back after these messages. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're continuing to talk to Dan Muse, head coach for the U.S. National Development Program, talking about some players on his team uh, just after the USHL Fall Classic. And Dan, I want to get your thoughts on Trey Augustine. And, you know, I've talked to goaltenders who have played at the U S national program in the past. And I said, well, what's it like when you're in front of basically an all-star team comparative to the rest of the group in USHL? And he goes, and they say, sometimes it's great because we have all these, this support and these players are like extremely talented and diligent. And then other times when you don't get a lot of shots, it really forces you as a goaltender to handle the emotion and the mental focus to be able to maintain what you need to do sometimes when you don't get a lot of shots on net and talk about Trey's evolution from last year into this year and how much of improvement he's had in those areas specifically well last year he got a lot of shots I don't think he was too concerned about that (laughs) you know you're playing in that U17 year and you're almost you know outside of the international uh games you're always playing against pretty significantly older players and, and, you know, on that U20 schedule, we played within the USHL. So um, I'd be surprised if he was complaining about not getting enough shots in those games. Um, and, but he's, uh, I, I mean, Trey's just, you know, number one, he's a, he's just an incredible person. Um, you know, he's diligent with everything that he does. It shows in his game, but it's, he's the type of person that it's just, it carries over to everything he does off the ice as well. Um, his academics, his day-to-day, everything. He's just, um, he's extremely, um, I guess, dialed in just on the details and, and, and it shows in his game. Um, and that's part of his personality. It's part of who he is. Um, you know, you go into, you start with last year and, you know, the you know beginning of the U17 year, you're just really in USHL play, you're trying to survive because, you know, this group of players have just been brought together. You're younger than everybody else in the league. Um first time away from home, all these other factors that come in. And, and it's, so it's, you know, you're seeing a significant amount of shots and you're usually a lot of those games early on, 
for the most part, at least in most years, um, it'll typically be the other team's got the puck a lot. And then as you go through the year, it changes. So, um, so Trey definitely, you know, he, he got tested, um, as all of our goaltenders did. Um, but he was a guy who you could see right from the bat, like he was, um, you know, early on keeping us in games and then kind of middle of the season when now we're starting to, to win some of the games and, you know, as the team progressed, like I thought he did an incredible job of, you know, keeping it where, uh, the games were you're playing meaningful hockey uh, for for 60 minutes on most nights, which was great. Um, but also for him, I think being able to see that type of um, those types of scenarios was great. And, you know, he's a player, too, who spent time, um, you know, up with the older uh, with our older team last year with the old fours and uh, went over to Worlds with them. So playing up and getting that experience um, w- was great for him. But he's he's continued to evolve because he, he pushes and that's just the person that he is. Like he's always going to try to find more and find different ways. Um, even though I thought like he started off in the U 17 year, things started well for him and for his game, he found ways to continue to progress. And um, you know, within the birth year, we have, uh, we have three goaltenders on, on, on the team and I think they all, you know, help push each other every day in practice, which is great with Michael Chambray and uh, Carson Musser. And then David Lassonde, who's our national goaltending coach has done an incredible job of, of working with all of them and just helping them um, continue to take steps in their game. So, you know, when we come to the U18 year this year, like, you know, you, I think you saw it in the fall classic, um, you know, Waterloo, the Waterloo Blackhawks have a really good team. Like, I think they're going to have a really good year. They're hard to play against. And, um, and so he got tested uh, in that game too. And especially early on, like he had to make some big saves and, um, you know, learn a one goal game. And um, it's already been alluded to Trey is extremely, extremely poised and calm under pressure. I, I have no idea how he does it because, you know, I'm on the bench. I try to stay poised and I try to stay calm, but like, I can't imagine in his position. Um, it's just, he, he just goes about his business. Nothing really faces him. And that's, again, it's part of who he is. It's just part of his DNA. Um, but it, it's one of the things that I think makes him, um, you know, special and a lot of fun to work with. I agree with you there, Dave. I thought he was very poised in that victory. It didn't even look after that second goal went by him. He didn't even look faced. He was just completely calm, collected. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is you, you mentioned that the U-17s, he, he had to face a lot of volume. Uh, I find in my first couple of viewings of him, he's incredibly efficient in net. Do you feel that his efficiency was accelerated as a byproduct of having to face extra extra rubber in his previous year, knowing that he couldn't he couldn't waste his energy or he, his conditioning would fail him and he would get weaker as the game uh, progressed? I, I think it's gotten better, but I think that's it's also part of what he came in with. You know, it's continued to evolve, but that was part of what he came in with. Um, you know, they like he had that. You know, that was something that. Um, you know, I know from speaking with David Lassonde and, and, you know, like going back to a year before was one of the things that, you know, impressed him um, as he was coming in here. But it's definitely continued to evolve, um, you know, over this past year. I'd like to get your thoughts on on Ryan Fine, another forward in your group and uh, his evolution in his game. That's why part of the reasons why I like the U S national program for us is that we get to see these kids in their first year and then evolve into. So we have an understanding of at least what the foundation was because we don't always get to see him prior to that. So how has he evolved from the first time you got to see him play? And as he's progressing into the beginning of this season, yeah. I think Ryan, Ryan's a player who I think, 
you know, the evolution is, I think he's added versatility to his game. Um, you know, like he's a player who, you know, coming up the ranks had a lot of success uh, offensively. Um, and, you know, I think last year, you know, like it is for every player, it's like you're learning, you know, how to play with that with less time and space. You're learning how to play against bigger, faster, stronger. Um, what worked at, you know, in midget hockey doesn't always translate. And so it's you got to make adjustments. And I think he has and he's a he's a player that I think. Um, you know, he has that natural understanding of like how to slow the game down, um, you know, and, and how to pull players and pull defenders in and be able to create space for players around him. And one of the things that I think has evolved in his game is he's also learning how to play with speed because he has that. Um, you know, I think you go back even to our, um, you know, for they were technically exhibition games against Muskegon, but like he had, you know, uh, multiple uh, breakaways or at least, you know, partial breakaways um, just by using his speed and and driving the net and playing on the inside more and that's something that I think you know he worked on last year and, and you're starting to see that that kind of that that be a part of his everyday game now um, which is exciting and so um, he's a guy who's got a great stick um, both playmaking ability and shot and you know he's a guy you talk about versatility too you know a lot I mean almost everybody comes in here like playing center and if I if it was just left up to players I'd have 13 lines of centers and no wings uh most years but it's uh he's a guy who like here I think it's it's good for players to build that versatility in their game and so he's you know he's playing in the middle now for us but you know he's also shown that he can play on the wing and he can do some different things that um you know like maybe maybe wasn't the case when he came in here a year ago um and so again credit to him and just the work that he's put in there um, but yeah I think you've seen more versatility in his game over this past year as a coach how important it is for you to have a player who's so versatile almost like a swiss army knife uh hybrid player who can play center and wing i i think i think for me personally and this is just more of a development philosophy i think everybody this age should be able to like I, it's it's and, and we talk to the players about that like you know, I think as, as young players coming up and which these guys are, you know, you're playing like this weekend, we're playing NCAA games. I mean, we're playing against men, but they're still, they're still young. Like you want to, you want to build up that versatility. Like if you, if you pigeonhole yourself that I'm only this, or I'm only that you're missing out on opportunities. And so, I mean, you're a hockey player, they like, like play the game and, and you should be able to build in and you should want to learn how to play you know, different positions as a forward. I think, you know, defenseman, you don't want to just be a power play. You want to be a player. Uh, you want to be a defenseman. You want to be a player who can be used in a lot of different situations. Um, and so because as players move up the ranks, they're going to find themselves that they don't have some form of versatility, you know, they're going to miss out on opportunities. And uh, whether it's college hockey and now instead of having a shot at playing top two lines, now you're playing lower in the lineup because, you know, there's certain areas of your games where they just, you know, you're not going to fit and you couldn't be given that opportunity or even further down the line, whether it's, you know, future national teams or it's, you know, in professional hockey. Um, I think at this age, these players need to be building in versatility. Um, it's just going to be more opportunities in the future. Absolutely. And every time we have an NHL personnel on the show, it's one of the things they really, you know, zoom in on is the versatility of the player and can I move him around the lineup and can he play different positions and can he play in different situations because that's what the coaches are all going to want and you as a coach you know why would you be any different from that um, and it's something that I think you know we always have to try to instill in the young players as well but Dan I want to thank you very much for coming on the show we really appreciate your insight and good luck through the season all right thanks guys thanks a lot for having me on
That's Dan Muse, head head coach of the U.S. National Development Program. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing talking about the USHL Fall Classic that happened last weekend. So now we're happy to bring in Tony Gasparini, general manager of Sioux Falls Stampede. Tony, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Shane. Love listening to you guys. We appreciate that too. So let's talk about, you know, some of the players in your system and that are, you know, draft eligible and drafted. And uh, I want to talk about right off the top is Will McDonough. And what I'm intrigued about him is the fact he's such a big centerman. And, you know, the NHL teams covet those big centermen who have skills and Talk about, you know, he got a chance to play last year in Sioux Falls. And I like when the younger players get a taste, they get to dip their toe in the waters, and then they start to have a better understanding of what they're prepared for next year. And talk about a little bit like what he had done this year and then how he came in prepared for this season and then a couple of games under his belt, obviously, at the Fall Classic. Well, I think you, you raised a great point there, Shane. And uh, the fact that he did get to play some games last year, uh, it familiarized him with the league. It familiarized him with the level of play. And it really gave him a head start, uh, you know, heading into his draft season, which is this year. And in the USHL, is a little bit different than the CHL. We don't usually have those younger, younger players doing just that. A lot of times their first taste to high-level hockey as a draft eligible is their first year in junior hockey. And as a result, you see some, some struggles, some peaks and valleys in the beginning of the year. Uh, and then usually taking off in the second half. So that's kind of the trend in the USHL. In regards to Will, um, you know, I think the being involved with the, Holinka, the USA Holinka team really helped jumpstart his summer. It really uh, put him in good standing uh, when, he, when he got here. Uh, he had a little bit of a rocky start in the preseason as, as I think we tried to figure out where he's going to, where we need to put him in order to best maximize the things that he can do. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough, we found that spot uh, uh, in the first regular, the first weekend of the regular season. Uh, he's a big, strong player. He utilizes his body really well. Uh, he's got, he's, he's got great offensive instincts in regards to finding an attacking space and he utilizes his length and his skill level real well in changing angles. And he, he was, uh, we were awfully proud of him. Very productive first weekend in the league. How are you feeling about his anticipation of the play? I felt he was having a good time in terms of being able to recognize how to stay above the puck, and that didn't allow him to get lost in the play. Do you feel that that was one of the reasons that he got off to a successful start in the season? I think so. I, I think that and we put him on the wing, and it, and it took some responsibility away from him uh, from covering both ends of the ice at 200 feet. And on the wing, he's able to read the play a little bit more and then, as you mentioned, uh, anticipate. And there, I think we had him uh, on the weekend. He was, you know, he was plus eight in one of the in in both those games in regards to generating scoring opportunities. Four of which I think came off of him anticipating on the forecheck, creating a loose puck, and then attacking. I want to ask you about uh, Maxim Skurback, and I I always find it intriguing when European players come over to the USHL and see how the quickly they can adapt to those situations so talk about his overall game and um you know 
of course he played last, you know, he played a little bit with, you know, a bunch of different teams last year. So there's always a bit of a, an adaptability with that, which I like players doing that, but there's always a danger that there's too much. Uh, what are your thoughts on him so far this season? Well, he's come in and, and right from the start of, of camp, uh, he's established himself as, as one of our top defensemen. Uh, I think if, for those who watched on this past weekend, he is, he is really engaged in the game, uh, both with the puck, without the puck, physically. Um, you know, he has a, he, what, what, what people are going to start to see with him is how much of a competitive player he is and how that translates in all facets of the game. Uh, for him, you know, we've talked to him about, hey, listen, less is more at times. And then your skill set and your compete and your skating kind of come through a little bit even more because there are times in which he's over aggressive in those areas. And that's 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 to be expected from a player his caliber and and someone who's coming into a new organization and wants to make an impact. But I thought I thought his games went very well uh, uh, this past weekend. I thought even though he wasn't rewarded offensively uh, in, our, in our second game, he was arguably one of the best players on the ice in the process. Tony, he reminds me a little bit of Martin Perhavari, who is a Slovakian prospect of Washington system who, who has been very successful. And one of the aspects of him uh, was that he used his frame a ton, but there was times where he used it too much. And as you mentioned, he would, he would inadvertently throw himself out of position or put himself in, in a position where his team was struggling in transition as a result of him uh, deciding to lay a big hit. Uh, is, the, is the trick for you going forward trying to rein him in just enough where you get that takeover mentality still, but then he does it in a way that's a little more intelligent from time to time? I think you nailed it. I, 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 Brad, I think you nailed this game exactly. I, there are some comparisons. I do see a little bit higher upside offensively with, with Maxim in, in regards to some of the things he can do. We get to see it here a little bit more in practice, some of his creativity and the natural deception he has from the offensive blue line that maybe separates it. But in regards to, to that comparison, in terms of how engaged they are in the game physically that, that was spot on uh so it's just a matter of us you know working with him uh working with our video coach making sure he understands when to go and uh you know you're going to see his ice time increase a little bit as soon as he understands you know his timing and 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 being able to rest a little bit during those those high level sequences in which he's competing and sometimes over competing Another player we want to ask you about is Adam Zinka. And, you know, he got games last year in USHL, which I think is obviously going to be beneficial for him this year. And he was another player who had, you know, played in a multiple, multiple teams, you know, in the previous years before that. And there's added adaptability as well, but he can also play left and right wing as well. And that's some versatility. I know that not only does your organization is going to like, but so will NHL teams. And, Talk about, you know, the beginning of his season and what you expect from him as he, you know, continues to develop through the rest of this year. Well, he had a tough injury a year ago, which limited him to, I believe, 10 games, Shane. And right at that time, everyone, I was in the scouting community at that time, and we were really excited to see him. He was outstanding at Helenka for Slovakia. He came into the USHL and, and experienced what first-year players do, uh, a little bit up and down. Uh, but just prior to the injury, it looked like he was starting to pop and some of those offensive abilities coming through. And unfortunately, he had a severe knee injury that uh, uh, he was still rehabbing when he came to us. 
Uh, he only played one preseason game for us due to the injury because he's, we wanted to make that he not only physically but mentally he was 100%. Um, he is a very, very talented offensive uh, winger. Yeah, and I, I, I'm really intrigued by what his potential could be. And Brad, thoughts on him, like watching him through those different tournaments and and then as well, you know, th- what you think he could potentially grow into this season and up for the upcoming draft? Well, just to build on what Tony said, a very talented player. I think it's all about uh, learning just the timing of soft ice off the puck and just recognizing how to use his teammates. Uh, you know, he's uh, an import player. He's played a lot internationally on a bigger ice surface. Uh, you know, obviously with his injury, he didn't get to the opportunity that most prospects overseas coming in get in order to adapt to the smaller ice surface. So obviously with him, it's just all about uh, learning the spacing, the timing and getting more comfortable on the ice surface. Yeah, Tony, in that respect, talking about Adam, you know, what's the next steps for him in terms of what you want to see from him? Uh, because, you know, you're so tight with the NHL community, they're going to be knocking on your door on a, on a pretty regular basis about this player. Yeah, they are. Adam, Adam, what we need to see from Adam is, is first of all, he's played three games in the last 11 months. So it's going to take a little bit of a t- little time for him to adjust and find his place. We've got to find a place for him in our lineup in which that high offensive IQ and high offensive instincts and skill set are maximized. And uh, we, I think you're starting to see one thing that's kind of been quite surprising in a positive frame was how competitive he is on loose pucks, how competitive he is towards attacking that hard area. And, you know, we're, you know, I think we just got to round out his game along the boards, along the wall. His wall play needs to improve. Uh, but we're really excited because uh, he everything that we've fed him thus far he he is he is kind of digested and 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 attempted to implement into his game, which is the positive that you want to see. Tony, want to thank you very much for coming on our show. We really appreciate the insight and good luck through the season. Thank you so much, Shane. Enjoy, guys. That's Tony Gasparini, general manager of Sioux Falls. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after these messages. <laughs> You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and brought to you by Outside Edge, uh, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're continuing on our discussion with the USHL Fall Classic that happened last weekend. So we're now happy to bring in Kelly Larson, the general manager of Dubuque. Kelly, thanks for, for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you guys very much for having me. Look forward to it. We uh, we always like talking about the fall classic. I love the fact that they change it from preseason games to regular season games. I think it gives something extra to the tournament. And I think for everybody, whether it's NHL or college hockey or the USHL, anybody watching it just provides greater value when it is regular season games. And, and talking about that, I want to get you some thoughts on some of the players that in your system. And first off is Michael Burchill. I want your thoughts on his continued development and what is sort of expected from him this year. And every year is a little bit different, um, particularly when players get an opportunity to get thrown into the deep end of the pool. It's not like the CHL where sometimes you get two or three games. Some of these rookies, they just get, here you go, kid. Now, you know, adapt or, you know, or sink or swim in that respect. So what did you get to see through him, uh, from him in, in those two games? 
Yeah, I mean, Mikey, Mikey was actually with us as a full-time player last year too, obviously in a fairly, you know, a smaller role due to his age. Um, you know, we spotted him at that point, you know, yeah, he, he played he played spotty. He played very well, but he played spotty. This year, Mikey is expected to be one of our top offensive contributors. I think that he came in after the summer in great shape. I think that during the fall classic and in preseason, we've seen that Mikey has really taken the next step. Uh, what I like the most about him is that he's a he's a real competitor, right? Like he's a skilled player that puts up points, but he, he competes both ways all the time. You know, he's great at transporting the puck. He's great at both setting up play and finishing it. Uh, I think what he has to work on is probably to get the get to hard areas to really get his shot off because he's got a great shot and stride. But sometimes he uh, sometimes gets stuck a little bit on the perimeter, and that's a you know that's things we're working with him on. But uh, he's destined for a big year. He's a big part of our team, and we we love having him. Kelly, how would you characterize this 200 foot game? Because one thing that stood out to me in the uh, the young season here was that. I found him that he was very good at pressuring on the forecheck. He's just, he's got that motor. And you mentioned the fact that he came in in shape. So the condition I felt really played a part of that because from period one to three, he, he was relentless. He never let up. He always applied pressure. Yeah. I mean, that's a very good uh, point by you. I mean, he is a relentless player and I, I do think his 200 foot game is good. I mean, especially like he, he back checks as hard as he fat four checks. Right. So when we lose to puck, you know, he gets on his horse and gets back, you know, just like with a lot of young talented players that have been offensive dynamos the whole year like the in-zone static defense something working with him on but we also hope to not play a whole lot in our d-zone standing still so he is a 200-foot player um and especially in the sense that he that he's great on the back check and really works hard to you know to to get a puck back and retrieve a puck again when when he's lost it or when our team has lost it I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, Theo Wahlberg. I'm always intrigued when European players come over to play in USHL and how quickly they can adapt to a different style of game. And of course, they're coming to a different country, different culture, uh, different habits, different you know coaching staff. Um, how well have you seen that transition so far? Even though you know in the first couple of games. Yeah, Theo Wahlberg, uh, so far, I mean, he's still getting used to North American hockey by all means, but he's been great. Like, it's not very often you see a six foot five defenseman have the control of his body as Theo does. Like, he is, he's an elite skater and his reach is unbelievable. Like, even drills, sometimes the coach are joking, he's too fast for the drill. They dump the puck for a regroup and he's back to retrieve it before the other guys are in position, you know. So he's almost going at screwing up drills because he's so fast. Um, but I mean, he's he's a pretty cerebral player, right? I mean, he he likes to make a, a nice play. Uh, he he has talent enough to make him, but I think if he simplifies his game and applies his skill when it when when he in a more efficient way, he's going to get only better. But he's a very happy-go-lucky kid, outgoing. You know, everybody loves to be around him. He's got a smile on his face, positive energy. He's uh, his ceiling is, I mean, seriously, the sky is the limit there. He, the, the, like I said before, the ability for him to move and have as well control of his body as he does at that size is remarkable. Kelly, I didn't get to see him too much last year because I, I was watching his fellow countryman, Elias Salomonson, he's played up in Sheleftia. And uh, that was primarily where I was in terms of getting to uh, to watch Sheleftia. Uh, from a J20 level, what's the most improved area of his game for you from when you saw him in J20 to now coming into your system? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still early enough in the season to to mark remarkable improvements, right? I mean, things that he has to work on is, is probably, you know, 
being as big as he is, you know, it's not excusable to get beat one-on-one, etc. Sometimes he does because his, his focus level is like, hey, just break up the fucking goal offense. So I think working on him on, on details of his game and really just refine, hey, we love your raw abilities. We don't want to limit your willingness to, to go on offense. But if you can apply it a little bit, you know, just be a little bit wiser. And when you apply your, your tools, I think that's an area where we've seen some improvements where we're, we're going to work on it further. Uh, but I mean, again, he's just scratching the surface. I mean, he he's always been a decent player in Sweden. Last year was the first year when he was considered one of the elite guys. And at 19 years old, you know, he's really coming into his own. So I think the upside with Theo Wahlberg is significant because he's kind of been, like I said, he's, been, he's always been an okay player. But this is the first time he's been in the elite group of defensemen in the country. I want to ask you about Niels Youngtorp as well. Another suite coming over to your organization and talk about, you know, what he's going to be able to bring to your organization, what you saw when he was in HV 71 system as well. Nils is a big forward with good skating and he loves to shoot the puck. He's more of a shooter than a setup guy. I think those guys are really hard to come by and they become harder and harder. All the young kids nowadays want to be the setup guy. Nils likes to finish plays and that's what he's good at. Same thing there, like a little bit like with Theo, like he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. He's kind of been a secondary guy, like never played on the national team, but he's NHL drafted. You know, like he he's coming to the USHL to, uh, hey, I played in Sweden. You know, they don't pick me on the national team and stuff. I'm going to go to the US. I'm going to play college hockey. I'm going to take, you know, my own way to hopefully play for the Blackhawks where he's drafted. Um, I love him. He's such a funny kid. Uh, similar to Theo, he's more of the outgoing type that, you know, always jokes around and is funny, but he's very serious about hockey. He's a hard worker. You know, we expect all our import players to be top contributors. I hope that Nils is a 20 goal scorer, 40 plus points, and, uh, you know, a reliable offensive, yeah, reliable offensive threat for us this year. You mentioned that he can skate, he can shoot. Uh, how do you feel he is with his cycling game? And have you seen uh, adaptation with his cycling on the smaller ice now? Yeah, I think the cycling game is something that he's got to have to get more and more used to. You know, cycling in Europe is not as prevalent as it is over here. I think he's doing a good job there. But also it can be nice to have some players to break that pattern as well, right? You can become pretty predictable as a team if you all play the same way. I mean, one of Nils' strengths is that he's got high-end skill. And you got to let those players have the high-end skill and use it too. So, uh, you know, we for sure want him to cycle and play more uh, team system. But in the Ozone, I'm not going to say it's a free-for-all, but if our players are creative and make plays and – what they do in the ozone, as long as they're producing, like we don't really, we don't really hold them back for anything. In terms of like, because he's a shoot first person, how much does that help his line mates around him who tend to make more passes? And I agree with you. We're starting to get away from the guys who just want to shoot the puck. Like, doesn't anybody want to score goals anymore? I thought that's supposed to be fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I thought so too. You know, but no, it. I mean, it, it's. It helps your line mate, right? When when they know that, hey, if I give the puck to Nils, he's gonna shoot it. Uh, you know, so I, I think it has helped for sure. Uh he plays with Moberg and you know, more Moberg is another Swedish center we have who's more of a setup guy. And you know, when he gives the puck to Nils, they they create a very you know good dual threat. At the same time, Moberg can shoot the puck and Nils and you know, and Nils Juntorp can pass it. So it's not like it's not easy to read him either. Uh but yeah, they've been good in line combinations. And Nils is smart enough where he can play up and down the lineup as well. And he can play with different players. He can play center. He can play wing, both right side, left side. You know, versatility is very important in the long season because we know we're going to get banged up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everything Nils has brought to the team so far is good. And the same thing there. He's only going to get better. Sometimes it takes the imports until Christmas until they really hit their stride. 
Right. And talk about that adjustment period and how much do you guys as an organization put into helping them adapt to their new surroundings? I mean, like overall, the Swedes are, you know, make things pretty easy, but it's still they're a far away from home and it's not it's not like home. Yeah, I mean, there's something we talked about a couple of years back when I was on here and we had Michelli, right? Like the, the European players, like it is a big transition. Me being from Sweden myself, I might have some, you know, first time knowledge of myself, but it's you know, figuring out how to get SIM cards for their cell phones, you know, what food are they eating at the billet families? Like, do they miss home? Do they have a girlfriend? You know, like is, how's the family situation at home? Do they have to sit up all night on the phone because their bodies are up in the morning there? So we talk about those things and try to help them adjust as, as well as we can. We also understand that you need to have patience with those kind of players. Of course, we expect them to be high-end players, but they expect it might take a little bit longer because they're not adjusted to American life, American food, American manners, travel here you know wearing a suit to the games if we don't tell them bring a suit to the game they're coming in sweatpants and it's not because they 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 don't like to dress up it's just things are different here and it's a lot of things to to keep on your mind when you when you adjust to a new country a new league and you know a new level of hockey cali want to thank you very much for coming on the show we always appreciate it and good luck through the season thank you guys very much for having me all the best bye-bye that's kelly larson uh the general manager for dubuque we're going to take a short break and we'll be back right after these messages Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back in power by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development, outsideedge.ca. We're now going to talk about some draft-eligible players uh, from the USHL Fall Classic. So let's talk about Tanner Adams from Tri-City Storm. And I know it's only two games. I saw the two games. You got to see him. It's a really small sample size. But from what I saw... I saw a player who has some adaptive processing in terms of his hockey sense. I saw a player who has some uh, ability with the puck at pace. I saw a player who has uh, shows some ability to be able to change his speed and create some time and space for himself. And, you know, production is always great. He got three points in two games. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does beyond that. And in a two-game scope, I think it's harder for me to see, okay, does he have more of a 200-foot game? Or where does he need to make adjustments? Because you sort of like want to see him play a bunch of, against a bunch of different teams and a bunch of different systems and then see how that how he adapts to that more on the defensive side. But offensively, I saw those things right away. Yeah, you know, to your point, I found that he, uh, he blended his intelligence with his competitiveness. It, he was a very competitive player. Uh, much like Mikey Birchall that we talked about right. uh, in the Buke system, I found that he also had a very good motor, very competitive kid, and he was willing to go to the hard areas. He was willing to do the dirty work when necessary, but then also complement with his with his uh, talent when he had to. So from those from that perspective, I really liked the fact that there was a there was a versatility to him. There was a well rounded two hundred foot game. Uh, also, I, I'm with you. I I have not seen him. Um, more than just the sample of games. Uh, I always try to be upfront about that. I, I, uh, for our new listeners, I'm an international scout, so I come in and out of the USHL depending on what I need to see. And in Tri-City last year, I didn't need to see a whole lot. Um, Same with so me. Yeah. yeah, we didn't get to see him too much. So it's interesting coming in, in fresh. I love that. Honestly, one of my favorite aspects of, of the of the, of the draft is when you first get started. It's like being a, being a kid on Christmas morning. You just get to open up all these presents because there's so many new players you've never seen before, right? So it's so exciting. 
And you get to go um, back. So, so I get to go back, to go back and watch yeah. him more specifically right. because he's draft eligible and go, wait a minute, okay, and then where's the evolution, right? Okay, what did he do last year and how was he adapted, right? You know, because he, he had a half a point a game as a rookie in, in USHL, yeah. which is good. I mean, those are really good oh, numbers. It's fantastic when you take into account his age because he's one of the younger players in this draft class. He's a September 2nd birth. So yeah. what, what you're looking at from a scouting perspective there is obviously there's more room to grow. Right. And yeah. when you when you factor in that he's already been an impactful player last season and he's coming in that, and that really started from a scouting perspective. That's what you want to see. You want you want to you want to hone in on that quickly. Uh, one thing that's fascinating about him is uh, from a technical perspective is his skating stride. So uh, his linear mechanics are straight line mechanics. He almost has a, a speed skater stance when he uh, is not carrying the puck. Yeah. In interesting, line. yeah. So he so he with his with his. Uh, it's, it's dominant hand. He holds a stick and he holds it in tight. And then with his with his outside arm, he does a speed skater flailing motion to the outside, which is it, it is. He probably it, took I, speed it, skating as a kid. That's what I'm saying. Is I feel yeah. like there must be some sort of speed skating coach that he's he's uh, uh, adapting the style from because he was implementing it all over the ice, but it was effective for him, right? It, it's. From a scouting perspective, it's okay to see an unorthodox technique as long as it's still efficient works. and beneficial to that player and it works, right? Yeah. For his body, for him, he's comfortable with it and it works. But from a scouting perspective, it was very interesting to see because it's it's abnormal. You don't see it often, so it stood out immediately. Yeah. Uh, so it's something I talked about already with some some of the scouts in our staff because it's 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 not something you, you typically see. It's atypical within his skating. It's also incredibly important for him to be a good skater with the type of game that I think he has to play. Um, so you, you you basically merge the fact that he has the skating component, he has the depth in his stride, he has an interesting technique, and then you merge that with the hockey sense that allows him to cut down on angles and be efficient. And I feel like that that's the hallmark of what I've seen so far is this is an efficient player. Uh, how much skill is there? We'll wait to wait to see a bit more of him, obviously. But uh, he's certainly one that we'll be monitoring for for a long time. And and in the young season here, the start of this season, he's certainly put himself on the map. I'm interested to get your thoughts on on Andrew Strathman. He's another player who I had to go back and take a look at, um, you know, because you know he had been with the Tri City Storm, and this year now he's in Youngstown. And he's not the biggest defenseman in terms of height. He's five eleven, around two hundred pounds, so he's pretty stocky, but not afraid to like get his nose dirty. He had a hundred pims last year and still was productive in terms of points. So I'm curious to see what he does like through this season. And he's got like three points in two games already in four pims, right? I don't expect him to get 124 pims or maybe he will, but talk about his overall game because I like the, when you're a smaller defenseman in terms of height, I like guys that will show that, you're not going to be able to push me around and every moment inside my defensive zone, it's going to be a battle and you're going to pay for every inch. Yeah, absolutely. So to your point, I feel like he's a well-rounded defenseman. He's a 200 foot defenseman. And the big thing for me is when you see a player is about five, 11, six feet, which he is, uh, he does have the base and uh, he's willing to close his gap very aggressively and keep a good pace in his own end. So that was one thing that really stood out to me. His gap was was mismanaged occasionally, but that's not unexpected. You're going into the season here. Young defenseman. Players, young defenseman. Now, he, he did play in the USHL last season full-time, so he's adapted to the league in terms of what's expected. Uh, but, you know, to each their own in terms of, like, how comfortable you get just as the season starts, right? So there was a bit of mismanagement. But one thing I really liked about him was that he was competitive. He was trying to recover quickly. 
And the other aspect was during retrievals, he understood how to incorporate exaggerated postural fakes, try to slow down the forecheck, try to give himself a little more time and space to get the exit pass. The other aspect of him I really liked was that he understood, unlike Sturback, who you could tell there was a rawness to uh, understanding when to activate, when to jump into the play, when to relaunch a play in transition. Uh, I, I feel like this player had a much better interpretation of when to jump in, become the fourth forward. And because of that, he had a couple of significant chances that actually didn't result in points, but it's something as a scout we noticed for sure. Uh, so from that perspective, uh, I, I liked. Uh, it's. I will say, though, that it's rare for a six-foot well-rounded defenseman to make it to the NHL unless they have a very specific elite quality. In my very small sample here, I didn't see that yet, but that's what I'm looking for going forward with the next six to eight game sample size is, is there something that can make him unique enough uh, at that size with his skill set that allows him to translate to the NHL? That's what, from a scouting perspective, that's what I'll be looking forward yeah. uh, to it, seeing. And, but he'll be dominant for that team and he should have a good year. And maybe in that respect is, you know, can he be exceptional at puck retrieval? Because that's so critical at the not only the college level but the NHL level, and then mm-hmm. his competitiveness, like through like the neutral zone into the defensive zone, of how hard he is to play against. Because if you can retrieve the puck and get that puck up ice, and then when you don't have the puck, you're a complete pain in the ass to play against. Like that may be his thing: is smart, smart puck moving, really good puck retrieval, competitive as hell. Like that may yeah, be his yeah. game. Right. Might just be his game for sure. Yeah. Right. In that respect. So that's where I think, you know, maybe that's where he is. Uh, we only have about a minute and a half left or so in this, but want to uh, touch base on William Whitelaw only because we got to see him obviously, you know, in the Holinka uh, coming up. And I want to get your thoughts on, you know, what he's going to do because he only got a few games last year with Youngstown because he was in mm-hmm. Shaddix. So he, you know, he's coming into this season full bore and, you know, there's a lot of thoughts about him as a player. Um, you think that there might be too much attention and hype on him and maybe the expectations are too high? Because I think he's a very good player, but you know what happens when you have televised tournaments? Yeah, well, you know, he's coming out of the famed Shaddix program, so that, that's where some of that hype comes from. He's, I can't remember the amount of points. I know he had over 100, and I know he had close to 50 goals, right? Yeah, so I think it was like 110 got, points. Yeah, Yeah. so you, you have the type of production, and it's, it's not just the fact he had the production, it's how he made the production, which was that a lot of his goals were high-end there was a lot of significant technical uh, uh, shooting upside found within those goals. What I really like about this player, okay, he's diminutive. He's five, five, eight, five, eight and a half, five, maybe five, nine tops. When you see a player that size, the first thing from a scouting perspective that we're looking for is how competitive is he? What's the, what's the nature of, of his or his psychological makeup? What is he? And to me, he's like 4th of July fireworks. He's, he has got a feistiness to him. He was involved after the whistles. He had a defenseman, skate out of the play and then pal drive him to the ice when he was nowhere near the puck, which, which shows that there's this, there's an agitation aspect uh, to him, which is really important to see on top of the skill set because it gives him a better, more dimension to his game. Absolutely. So this has been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio. Thank you to all our guests uh, and another great USHL Fall Classic. Both Brad and I love this tournament. And um, if we could have it longer than two games, I think it'd be great if we could have like five or six or seven games and have the kids there for an entire week. But we'll see if we can make that happen. I'll talk to Doug Christians about about that as well. But it's been uh, a fun show and we look forward to uh, talking to everybody next week and everyone stay safe.